0: Welcome to the Open Church Podcast, a place for disciples to be made. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Cameron and Robert here with you, as always. Robert, what's going on? I hear you are in a fascinating part of the world these days.
1: Yeah, so this week in Buffalo, New York, and so just things worked out to where we got to go to Niagara Falls, uh, which was one of those places, like, you see so many pictures and stuff, and I've this kind of happened with the Grand Canyon, where it's like, well, you know, that was a little underwhelming, um, and then I went a few more times, and then it became overwhelming as you just stop and, and think and meditate, but the, I will tell you, Niagara Falls is not that way, at least for me. The raw power that's going over the cliff, Um, the waterfall, uh, the waterfalls, there's actually three distinct waterfalls there. Uh, There's the American side, there's the horseshoe, which is Canadian side, and then there's a smaller waterfall called uh, Bridal Veil. And what was really cool about going... I mean, in March, you think springtime, but in Buffalo, I promise it's still cold. Uh, <laughs> it was really cool because there's these huge uh, swaths of ice because the ice will literally build up and sometimes completely stop the falls where the water's kind of just running underneath. But as far as what you can visualize, it's just ice. Uh, it wasn't completely that way, but what we did get to see is some of the remains of sun, uh, some of the ice buildup. And we got to see those from above, and then there's a spot if you pay a little extra money. You can actually go down and see the falls from below um, on the American side. And it was absolutely incredible. Um just the raw power. Also, listener may or may not know, you may, may or may not know. Literally that is where electricity began as far as uh going into city. So it started there. Uh this was actually Nikola Tesla and uh went to Buffalo, New York, which is roughly You know, Buffalo proper is about 20 miles away from the falls. And it was just incredible because you're at this feat that God created uh, through glaciers. Um, You know, I I feel like God kind of sets things in motion uh, for us to take wonder at. And then you have, uh, is it the greatest invention of mankind? I don't know. It's right up there with fire itself because electricity is how we're even able to do what we're doing right now, which is you and me talking uh, literally across the country, uh, via internet, which is a direct descendant from being able to harness power. So, uh, just incredible. Um, and then just an offshoot observation. I really like Buffalo. I don't want to move there. It gets way (laughs) too cold. It was like 17 some of these days, 14, but the people are just like no nonsense. They are what they are. It's the beginning of really the Midwest. Yes, it's uh, Western New York, but um, my wife is from the mi- Midwest in Michigan, and there was that same vibe. Uh, but there was no pretense about it. It's just like we're Buffalo. We don't really care I- I- if you want to be here, great. If you don't, uh, you know, there's the, there's the highway. Don't really care. <laughs> I mean, it was it was a wonderful place to just exist and to meet people. Um, you know, it it just so this this whole experience in Buffalo has been uh, quite interesting. Um, so anyway, that's uh, where we're at and what we're doing, and have faced some like froze the camper, thought it <laughs> out. I mean, it's just it's been a week, man. It's been a week.
0: I I think that the most pressing question is how are the buffalo wings in Buffalo? That's what everyone's dying to know.
1: I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Cause my wife got sick. So we didn't have those <laughs> probably, probably for the best. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, what I will say is, uh, something interesting that we looked up is there's actually more pizzerias in Buffalo than in New York city. Wow. Well, yeah. There you take go. that. Take that for a moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh
0: man. Okay. Um, well, let's let's jump into our show. As much as I love talking about buffalo wings and pizza, because it's almost lunchtime where I'm at. But um, we've uh, on the last few episodes of the show because we've been talking about uh, what what's the gospel, what's biblical righteousness, what's biblical justice, and we've interspersed anecdotes from our lives to to you know sort of emphasize particular points that we're making. So we figured that uh, this week and next we would just tell our stories and, uh, t- try to identify some of the themes that we've covered. And, uh, I like that idea. Cause I think it's going to be relatable. You know, I think people will appreciate what we're saying because they'll say, Oh yeah, I've experienced exactly that thing you're talking about, you know? Um, but what do you, before we dive in, cause we're going to go over t- some, some aspects of, of my story today, Robert, I mean, what is this important as a, as a way to communicate the gospel to people to share your testimony I mean you're the pastor so what, what do you think
1: <laughs> well I I mean my personal opinion is kind of uh irrelevant i want to I want to share a couple of of, of lessons from like um, revelation 1211 uh, and they have conquered him, which is the evil one uh, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And I'm going to paraphrase the rest of that. They loved life more than death. Uh, and that's a pretty bold paraphrase. If you actually go and uh, look up Revelation 12, 11, I will stand by that. I'd be happy for anybody to comment, uh, message, whatever. Uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts. But what I'm saying there is, Revelation, the, the book of the Bible that wraps it all up, if you will, if you're thinking in literary terms as our you know modern literary terms, it ra- wraps it all up. It's the final chapter, if you will, the final book. And this is what God has to say for testimony. Conquering the evil one. Conquering, even if you want to go uh, and, and equate it to modern religions, the evil within oneself, you know, it, anything. This is what God has to say for it. It's the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. So f- just from the Bible, I mean, I think that sets the stage as it's huge. Uh, and I don't think that we do it enough, especially in Western Christianity, I even practice our testimony. Uh, but then as a pastor, I will tell you, anytime I can get people to share their stories, uh, they're way more personable than just a message, <laughs> than just a sermon. And people relate and there's something that sparks off and the discussions typically become quite wonderful. Um, and that's just from a practical side of it. So there's a short and long version of that answer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's great. I, I think it's important to set up why why we're doing this. And wh- one thing I would add, and again, we'll we'll jump into this in a second, but In, uh, in the new Testament and specifically in the gospels, I'm thinking about the first chapter of Luke, Luke says, I'm writing about stuff that we saw happen. And you see the, you see the same kind of commentary in acts and other, Paul says it in, uh, I think in Romans and some other epistles, but the emphasis is on, we watched this stuff happen, this unbelievable, uh, Event, you know, primarily the resurrection, not not Paul in that case, but but the other the other disciples. And and that's the emphasis, right? And, and your personal experience as a part of that and how your life has changed. That's important. But the bigger point in in those cases is I can point to actual stuff that happened, you know, and you can you can go talk to other people because they're they're still alive and they'll tell you, you know, go talk to Joe over there. Joe saw it, <laughs> you know. Um so obviously, I I wasn't alive at the time, but I think what I'm going to try to stress as I go through this is that there were there were bits of information or bits of truth that I was exposed to as I was making my way back to God, and I think those are verifiable. You know, people can go look up some of this stuff. So that's one thing I would stress. Is I'm not trying trying to say you know I have this special warm fuzzy feeling in my in my tummy now, and you can have that same warm feel. It's not just an an emotive experience, if if you will.
1: No, absolutely.
0: So anyways, let's, let's jump into it because I've been, uh, I've been talking enough as it is, but there's, there's roughly three, I guess, three stages I would break, break the story into. And Robert jump in at any point, if there's something you want to, you want to dwell on, that's fine. But Man, there's, I've got my popcorn. There's... I'm ready to hear, man. I'm ready to hear your story. <laughs> well, let me let me tell you up front, there's no moment where I was like holed up in in Mexico with illegal firearms and cocaine. And I was like, man,
1: I really need to make a change. <laughs>
0: ah, gotcha.
1: <laughs> Nothing. That's the other that's the other story. Got it. Okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's that's <laughs> that's the one I tell when I want to impress people. But all, all that to say is it's a pretty typical story, but I think most people's are. So maybe there's there's some value in that. So I grew up as a pastor's kid. All of my life my my father's been a worship leader, my parents have been in ministry. And in that sort of environment Christianity is just sort of like everything, you know. It just permeates every aspect of your life. So, you know, after school I walked to church because that's where my parents were and they couldn't come pick me up. And it was the center of my social life and everything everything was church. Now there's some there's some value in that I think. But there's always the risk that you you fail to appreciate what you have, or you can forget what you have because it's just all around you. And so it becomes less valuable to you. And I think that may have been what happened in my case. And, and specifically, I think it was due to seeing how people behave behind closed doors. And I think any pastor's kid or any anyone who whose parents are in leadership in ministry will tell you when you see how the sausage is made, it's very, very different. You know, People will put on a face pu- publicly, they, they talk a certain way, they behave a certain way, but when you get them behind closed doors, they're just normal people like everybody else. And, and what I mean is there's politics, there's infighting, there's, there's people vying for positions within the church, there's jealousy. Um, I saw my parents, for example, accused of stealing money from from the little church that they had founded, which was ridiculous because when you're a church planner, you don't have any money. You're, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. you,
0: you just, you just don't have it. And, uh, you know, so seeing that, I think really soured me on the whole church experience very slowly, very gradually, but it nonetheless happened, you know, cause you see people mistreat each other who then get up in the pulpit and say oh god bless you brother the lord loves you so much it's just like you guys are schmucks you know um <laughs> and and i grew up in a pentecostal church too so on top of all that you see people playing the holy roller you know they're speaking mm. in tongues they're which they're not really doing in my opinion they're babbling there's <laughs> there's no language in that or they they claim to be prophets and then you know they're cheating on their spouses it's just like this kind of stuff really turned me off. It, it was it was over time. I look back on this now and I, I see how impactful this was.
1: I always like to tell people, I mean, that's the backside of water. That's the backside of this. Um, it's the old joke in Disney where you're trying to hide the backside of water. You're trying to hide how everything's made and done. Um, I think that's one of one of the hardest things in quote-unquote church work, and I'm using my, you know, I'm actually choosing my words pretty specifically. Is there's faith, there's religion, and then there's the organization, and they don't always align. As your kind of your story is is going right there, um, and and that's why I find your story so fascinating, and I want to hear more about it because. A lot of people will see that from the front side it's a whole different thing seeing it from the back side it affects you differently and i think you'd probably agree with that
0: definitely it definitely does and one thing i want to stress as i look back now with a little more wisdom and a little more insight everybody everybody's broken you know so even people in church who are in leadership it's it's not surprising And, and jesus says in mark 2 27 i came to fix the sick people <laughs> you know so it, it makes sense that when you go into the church you would see people in various stages of recovering from whatever their their issues are you know so part of that is me humbling myself enough to realize that I'm not any better than these people you know I might have different issues um but it but it was wrong of me to to sort of take this as a judgment against them and you know because I, I as as I'm going to talk about I wasn't any more holy than, than these people. And I love the way GK Chesterton puts it in his book uh, Ev- the everlasting man, because this is the thing that, that critics of Christianity will sell all the time is, you know, you're a bunch of stodgy hypocrites, self-righteous, you know, would be Pharisee people. And Chesterton says, well, basically what you need to understand is that the, the flood confirmed the necessity, the necessity of the ark, or the church is here because there's broken people. So what you're seeing is, exactly why Jesus had to come and why we needed a church in the first place. And so that's how I try to look back on it today. But moving, moving forward, the the capstone on this period of my life was seeing my parents go through a very difficult time in their marriage. And my father fell into alcoholism and drug addiction. And uh, he's very open about this and he's fully recovered today. And, you know, he's in church and it's now a, pretty powerful story to people who have those same kind of struggles. But at the time, this is very disconcerting. You know, you're, you're 15, 16, 17 years old is these formative years in your life. And you're seeing this person who you held in such high esteem, just totally lose their moorings and, and lose their way, you know, because you're, you're sort of looking to them as anyone looks to their father for guidance and they just sort of jump. Jump the ship. They're like, well, I'm gone, you know. <laughs> and so, I wouldn't have put it that way at the time, but that's that's what was going on, and I think that led into a period of my life that was very typical for a lot of people in uh, what generation am I in? Millennials, you know, in that millennial generation. You, you, you enter this period where you're, where you're trying to figure out life, you know, you're, you're dealing with heartbreak, you're dealing with trying to establish your career and you're failing and you have no money. And there's all these things going on. They're very typical. There's nothing unique about my experience with them, but, but basically life just beats down on you. And I got to this point where I was real jaded and cynical about church. I had never explicitly rejected my faith, but I was just, just, just tired of it, you know, and then you're going through life and then that beats up on you and you just kind of end up in this, this kind of sad, angry place where it's not quite nihilism, but it's almost, you're just sort of living for the moment and who cares. And, you know, the, the world sucks kind of a thing. This is, this was my perspective. And just to kind of highlight how, like, I don't know if depraved is the right word, but Just how low I had fallen. I was I was playing drums at one of these mega churches, you know, that's more interested in entertaining people than than preaching the gospel. (laughs) But so I'm playing drums at this church and I was dating one of the women on the worship team. And so I'd show up on Sunday and I'd do my thing, but on Friday and Saturday night, I was just living the typical life of of a 20-something, you know, doing all the things that entails. And I didn't see any hypocrisy in this. I didn't feel any guilt or shame. It was just whatever, you know. And if uh, if you had asked me about it, I probably would have said something along the lines of, "Well, you know, I'm just figuring out my life." And I think a lot of people would say that when you ask them about the the, the way they behave, you know. So I, maybe that's something we can we can emphasize for a second because I'll return to it later. Is this idea of you know living a certain way or engaging in certain behaviors? And not seeing what's wrong with them or or not seeing that you've totally destroyed your own moral credibility when you try to go out into the world.
1: Yeah, well, I, I, mm, you want to put me on my high horse, don't you? Um, so there's a couple of <laughs> things that kind of resonates here. One is um, Elizabeth and I have been church planners. We've also worked in the church for over, uh, 20 plus years apiece. Um, we, and we've done just about everything. Um, and I say it this way, uh, because. Is, and, and this is going to be kind of softballing it back to you, but like. for you you know that you're hearing messages maybe you're ignoring them I don't know during that time maybe there's just a block but like the transformation of the gospel seems almost lost in a lot of the modern church uh, the modern western church because that's what I'm an expert in um I I don't know I mean I see this all the time that there's a disconnect between the sermons and actually figuring out and grappling with how do this, how does this actually apply to my life? I mean, can you speak on that? Can it, from your side of the observation?
0: I can say so much about that. <laughs> and it's something I'm really passionate about now, but I think I've joked to you off, off air about uh, the, 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 the content of modern sermons or the, or lack thereof really, you know, so I remember telling you one time, uh, you know, I hate sermons that are listicles. It's like five ways to financial freedom, according to Daniel, (laughs) you know, these kind of, these kind of airy, fluffy self-help sermons that they're, they're more about making you feel better than they are about actually teaching you what the Bible says about, Gospel, you know, the gospel or some, or like a really tough subject that is difficult to deal with. This is generally skipped over in modern evangelicalism and it really bugs me. Um, but I can think of just one example. This is the, the same mega church I was playing drums at at the time. I remember the, the, the pastor was preaching out of Daniel 3 one time, and this is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And uh, the, the Cliff Notes version is uh, King Nebuchadnezzar says, You need to bow down and you know, worship this gold statue that I've just set up uh, because I'm so awesome. And these three say, you know, Holy King, uh, sorry, we can't do that. And they're right. like, and he says like, well, I'm going to throw you in this furnace if you don't do it. And he says, well, that's fine. Uh, you know, our, our God can protect us. And even if he doesn't, you know, we don't know you an explanation. So have a nice life. <laughs> so, and he, he throws them in the furnace. They don't burn. And they see there's a fourth figure in the furnace with them, which is presumably an angel or, you know, someone protecting them. And then Nebuchadnezzar goes, oh, your God can protect you, you know, and then they're restored to their status or whatever. So it's a really powerful story. And it has there's any number of of lessons you could pull out of that. But this pastor, what he pulled out of this, of this entire text was. Um, You know, they were really nice to King Nebuchadnezzar and you can be nice too in your life, even when you disagree with somebody. (laughs) And so even in my, even in my jaded, bitter stupor, where I was kind of, kind of hardened to the whole Christianity thing, I'm sitting in the, in the, in the audience and I just want to slap my forehead. It's, it's so clear that this is not what this story is about. It's not about you being nice. And one way you know, this is that this is deeply rebellious. You know, if someone's willing to throw you in a fire because you're not doing what they say, this is a pretty good hint that they're not pleased with you. (laughs) So, oh yeah. Right. So anyways, I I don't want to, I don't want to go too deep into that story, but that's just one example of the kind of, you know, the kind of Joel Osteen-esque preaching that I, that I was seeing. And I think this contributed to the sort of, you know, the, the, the cynicism that I was just swimming in at the time.
1: But oh, I, uh, have, I have so many questions about that. I just yeah, go i ahead. just go ahead. well, and these are just theoretical i just you know i I listen to these kind of sermons and um and like these are the biggest churches in America. I mean, they're huge, they're humongous, and uh I'm just like, for me, it's like we have lost the power of the gospel. We've lost it completely. Um, Anyway, sorry. I just, it just makes me think because these are observations I've had for years. I've had thousands of conversations by this point, maybe, you know, several thousand. And it's just so interesting to hear this from you as well. You know, this, anyway, I'm sorry for interrupting you. I want to hear more of your story. It just, 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 just brings those questions to mind. How did we get so far from the gospel? We're going to, we're going to
0: come back to it because that's a, that's an important part of the story, but this is, I'm speeding ahead a few years, but this is where things slowly start to turn around. So I meet my wife not long after this period I'm talking about, and we start building our life together. We're not married yet, but we're, you know, we're working towards that. And uh, we get married, we move into our first apartment and everything's kind of going on track. And we, we strike up a friendship with, our neighbors across the hallway in this apartment complex, who uh, they're mutual friends of ours, you know them, I won't use their name since I, I you know, I don't have permission to do that. But after we became friends and, and, you know, they had a dog. So we're like, Oh, we both got dogs. Let's be buddies, that kind of thing. Um, they invited us to church and there was no preaching. There was no like, you know, Hey, let me, let me tell you about this great thing I do. You know, they just said, Hey, we have this church that we go to. It's like five minutes away. And, that was all it really took to kind of spark my interest again, because it was always there in the background, you know? So all it took was that seed being planted for me to start thinking. I'm like, you know, that's probably a good idea. <laughs> because like I said, you're still going through all these challenges. And I'm thinking now that now that I'm married, I'm like, okay, I'm starting to think long term about kids. And when I got married, just, just offhand, this is just something I just occurred to me, I started to think about death all the time. (laughs) And I had to, I had to talk to people in my life about, about this, who I trusted. I was like, man, I I think about like dying in a car accident and not, not like I want to, but I was like, this could end any day. It could just be over like that. And so it was this sort of thinking that sort of reoriented me and started me thinking about, you know, what do I believe? Do I believe in God still? Am I a Christian? You know, I just, so I got all of this stuff in my head, but in in any event, we started attending this, this church occasionally, which is our our current church. Uh, so we would go, we'd go one week and then we'd skip, or I would go and my wife would stay home or or whatever. So we we were getting involved in this slowly, but surely. Um, and then we moved, not far away, but we bought our first house a couple of years later. And we still had plans to go back to this church, but... pandemic hit. So this is early 2020, February, March or so. So we moved in and within a couple weeks, California shut down, just completely and utterly shut down. Nothing's open. And I everybody remembers this no matter where you were in the country. So there's not much to do when you're stuck in your house. You can't, it was fine for me. I'm an introvert. I love I love reading and studying. And so it was great. It was the first time in my life that the socially acceptable thing to do was just stay home and not talk to anybody. (laughs) So I was fine with it, but I was listening to a lot of podcasts and reading a lot of books and just sort of um, reengaging all of these concerns that I had, but at the same time we were hanging out with our neighbors on, on our street. That's all you could do, you know, and these weren't Christian people. So what did we do? We, we drank, right. We just got together and had alcohol and whatever. We just hung out, you know. Um, But I reached a point where I was probably flirting with alcoholism or I was just drinking. I was just drinking so much because I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if it was Trying to deal with what was going on in the world, or it was just boredom, or, or whatever. I don't know that the motivation is the point. The point is that the behavior was very destructive, and I started to see uh, changes in how I was behaving, and I started to kind of fall back into these, um, you know, this mindset that I had when I was younger, where I was cynical and bitter, and um, you know, these things started to creep up, and I started to realize, I'm like, man, this is not, this is not good. Um, so as I'm, so there's these kind of parallel tracks, right? So I'm kind of looking into this, this Bible stuff again, and I'm also drinking to excess, <laughs> which is funny to, to say, to look back on now. But, um, I was, as I was kind of looking through things, I landed on this documentary. It's called, uh, the American gospel. And there's two, there's two parts to it. The first part is a look at, uh, prosperity preaching. So, you know, Benny Hinn and Joel Osteen and these guys who say uh, Jesus died so you can have an abundant life. And if you just write a check to my ministry and you just name it and claim it, you can have a yacht and you can be a millionaire. and, And it's basically it's like crack for modern Americans. It's like, see, what Jesus really wants is for you to have all the physical material comforts that you've always dreamed of. That's what Jesus wants for you. (laughs) And if you
1: don't have it, just keep working. You don't have enough faith yet. That's right. Another check. Right. So this is
0: incredibly destructive
1: theology. And when you
0: start exporting it to poor countries where you say, you know, if you come to my church, your pigs won't die and you, uh, your family can uh, have enough money to buy food, and your kids can go to school. I mean, you can see how you're setting people up for failure and disappointment with this kind of preaching. Anyways, so part one is is a look at this prosperity stuff, but there's a really powerful gospel presentation in it, and it's contrasted with what Catholicism teaches. And I, I don't know why, but it the the message just struck me when i heard it this time i've heard this story a billion times right i've been in church my entire life you know we've talked about the gospel on this podcast you know i i could have recited it uh, you know whatever as much as i needed to but it just struck me in a way it never has when i was watching this documentary and it it brought tears to my eyes i don't i i can't believe it you know so i sort of i sort of set that as the moment or the day or what have you, that was the moment when I said, uh, I have to believe this. I can't not, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like this, just this, I just felt this relief come over me in a way I never had before, you know, and I had all of these issues I was grappling with at the time. And and this is right around the time, by the way, that like, there's entire cities on fire across the country, the there's an election coming up and people are saying the country's gonna fall into chaos, you know? So this is the backdrop. That wasn't my primary concern, but like this is what's going on in the world. So I was just sort of, I was thinking through my own issues. I was looking at what's going on in the world and then I, it just kind of came to me. It's like, what, what else is there? Like what other alternative is there to this message that I'm, that I'm watching right now? And I just, you know, and it, it just overcame me. And, and from that moment on, I started making this journey to like and I've said a few times on the show, you know, I'm a real Christian now. I I really believe this and that's what I'm referring to. It's like after that period in my life, I was like, okay, I'm a Christian. I'm going to commit my life to this. Anyways, I'll I'll stop there. We can talk a little bit, but that's that's where I was and that was this monumental shift that took place in my life just a, a couple of years ago.
1: I I mean, just remarkable. I love And the reason why I wanted you to tell your story is, you know, you talk about how you feel like it's probably where a lot of people are. But there's a couple of big differences that I just want to kind of to play on. One is, um, you know, in America, there's 330 ish million people. There is far less than a million of those who can say that they were preacher kids, maybe somewhere in that million range. So you're talking about in America itself, you're talking about less than 1%. Um, and maybe maybe those numbers are a little bit different, uh, but just knowing the numbers of ministers at any given time, uh, you're probably talking about probably around a million or less preacher's kids. Um, and so it's so interesting to hear that story from that perspective. Um, it's also really interesting to, to hear so many little caveats in there, um, that for me, I can relate to, um, and I don't want to get on top of your story because I'll, I'll tell, tell mine next week or, you know, at least a portion because there's so many little details. Um, and, and I, and I'd love, you know, for, for the listener, if they've got questions to send them in, um just because there's a lot, there's some things, you know, like names and stuff don't want to give away, but there's, I know there's more to that story that you don't mind sharing. You just don't want to bore the audience too. Um, I don't know. It's just really remarkable to me, your story. Um, and, and you've, you've covered the biggest changes. I mean, you said you're a couple years down the road. I mean, I guess just to, in a follow-up question for me would be just what sustained changes have you seen in your life? Well,
0: let's go down the list. <laughs> well, wait, let's, let's talk about, let's just talk about one. So I mentioned that I was, I was drinking absurd amounts of alcohol for, for a sustained period. And after this, after this moment in my life, and I mentioned this on a, on a previous episode, we did that, I had a sense of all of these things that were deficient in my life that I needed to fix and not in a, not in a shameful way, but in a way of like, I'm better than this now. Right. God is, God has changed me. I'm I'm a new person. Now I can, I don't need these things anymore. And the drinking was one of those, you know? So I think what I've realized, and I started to study this very deeply, like, what does the Bible say about alcohol? Is it, do I need to swear it off entirely? Am I, Am I abusing it? You know, and basically the conclusion I came to was God gave us alcohol to enjoy, but drunkenness is a very serious sin. And it, the Bible talks very specifically, like in Proverbs, as we've talked about in Proverbs throughout the New Testament, it describes very specifically what happens to you when you fall into this. And it's remarkable because it's, it it fit my experience perfectly, but it was it was clear to me. I was like, okay, this has to stop like right away, you know. And it didn't. Of course, it took uh, <laughs> it took a few months of me kind of figuring out what was wrong. But but this is one of the places I'm at today where it's like, okay, I can enjoy a little bit of this responsibly, but I I cannot depend on it. I cannot use it to forget what's going on in the world. I can't use it to dull my senses because that's not what it's for. And I felt very, very strongly convicted about this. As time went on, and um, I was misusing it, but that—that's just one example of like I felt like I could not enjoy the things I enjoyed previously, because there's this tug of war now between this this new life that you have or this new self that you have and your old way of living, and uh, it pushes you in the right direction because. You're not living guilt free, right? You've uh, you have a new heart. There's a, pick the analogy you want from the Bible. There's all sorts, but that's just one example.
1: Mm. So strong. I, I, I mean, this of course scriptural backing up. You know, Jesus talks about you know if your right hand offends you, cut it off. And that's what I'm talking about. For some people, alcohol is n- never an issue. Uh, for some people, it's a major issue, and uh, you know, I these kind of things. And I love the fact you you brought up the dichotomy that you find in the scriptures and you know you brought up earlier about pharisees um this pharisaical kind of I'm one person on Sunday another person on Saturday and that's the beauty of the real gospel is the real gospel makes you consistently who you are every single day of the week now that doesn't mean you don't deal with issues that doesn't mean you don't deal with problems um but what it does mean is that you're honest. And I, I, I love that about your testimony. It's honest. Um, it's honest even with the dichotomy of, you know, for you, drinking became a stumbling block. And so you had to make some radical changes. Um, but for the listener who, you know, has a, their favorite drink and they have one or two of them on a Saturday and that's about all they all they do in a week. Or they have just a chaser in the evening, you know, one or two in the evening, and it's not a problem for them. It's a whole different story and it's a whole different ballgame. And that's what I personally love about the gospel and about your story. It's different for each one of us. And yet, if we look behind the veil, so to speak, and we look at Jesus, he's consistent in the sense that he says, you matter and what you're going through matters. And I'm going to walk this with you. And I just think that's beautiful.
0: It is. It is, and to let, let's flush that out a little bit. I think that's an important point. One of the one of the things that I was struggling with, and I still, you know, work through this every day, is understanding what all of this really means, and and why I think it's true. Is there confirmation of this? And I don't. I don't think. I think the gospel is more powerful than you know five arguments for why Jesus really rose from the dead. It's much more than that. But I think intellectually that can be a stumbling block for a lot of people is you know people Mm -hmm. raising from the dead uh miracles you know water into wine this is all this is fairy tale stuff you know i think that that sort of thinking is really embedded in our culture um because we've become more or less a secular society you know ostensibly we're a christian country um but it's it's shifted you know i don't think people take that kind of stuff seriously so one of the things that I was dealing with as I was going as I was like, okay, I need to really understand if there's substance to this. So I would, I would pray and I would say, you know, can I, can I be sure this is true? You know, can I, do you really exist? Am I just talking to myself in my room in the dark? Am I just a crazy person? (laughs) Um, But anyways, one of the, one of the ways I found confirmation of this is like, some of the podcasts that I was listening to, they were political in nature, but everybody, interestingly, all of the ones I was listening to were from a Christian perspective. And one of the things these commentators would harp on is that you have no grounds to be upset about anything in the world. You have no standing to say that something is right or something is wrong if there's no God. And then they would go into arguments. They would say, um, well, here's why god exists for example and and they would say you know if if there's nothing like holding the world up then it's just physical stuff right it's just molecules in motion you know billiard balls bouncing into each other and billiard balls don't have a sense of morality you know so you can't be mad about anything you can't say that we need the government should be like this or people should behave like this because there's nothing to that and i don't want to we don't have to go super deep into the arguments but this pointed me into a whole field of philosophy called natural law, which, which in different different capacities talks about, you know, based on what we see in the world, we can argue for God's existence. And based on um, uh, certain qualities of human nature, we can say that certain types of behavior are right and wrong. And so I just went down this, this rabbit hole of basically finding that like, the, the universe requires a God. And, and maybe we can talk about these, these arguments on another episode. But all I'm saying is like, I found the confirmation I needed to satisfy these doubts that I had. And frankly, I still have sometimes, you know, but my point is, is like, as I was going, I was finding answers and I was finding um, new lines of inquiry that I, that I, that I was looking for, you know? So I would pray and I'd say, I have this question and it's really bugging me that I can't find an answer and then i would stumble seemingly i would stumble into it and so that was really powerful for me as a confirmation that that i'm on to something here this isn't just me having you know a, you know i don't know if it would be a midlife crisis because i'm too young for that i suppose but you know it, it this isn't just me like losing my my sense in my early
1: 30s Depends on where the terminus is, my friend. No, just I'm sorry. I couldn't resist, I couldn't resist that easy one. I'm,
0: so, I'm sorry. No, that's that's good, man. I will be. I will be the subject of a bomb blast for everyone's entertainment. That's
1: it. Okay. <laughs> so, um, you know, we usually do like what what we're reading, and it's really fun, interesting um, that you talk about. Like natural law, uh, the 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 universe requiring a God. Um, I actually just got done with a fabulous book uh, by C.S. Lewis, "God in the Dock," and it's a lot of his short essays, some unpublished work uh, previously unpublished um, that this the the collector um, of of all these stories put together, and it's called "God in the Dock." And um, Cameron, I think you're smart enough where you would understand all of this. I will say that anytime I read C.S. Lewis, I realize I am not as smart as I think I am. Um, But whenever it comes to philosophical thought and you want to take a person who came from an atheist background and then it was because of philosophical thought that C.S. Lewis basically got to the point like, there's got to be a God. So which one? Um, and this book, God in the Dock, D-O-C-K, um, it's, it was a fabulous read. Um, I, I, I just couldn't recommend it more. It kind of deals with a lot of what you're talking about um, in that philosophical thought realm. Yeah, anything he writes is
0: excellent. Um, I've read so many of his books, and I still I continue to go back to them, especially the screw t- the screw tape letters. But he's he's a very deep thinker. But one thing he's great at, and this is how you can tell that he was writing for the public and that he was a, 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 an educator, really, is because he would take very deep concepts and tie them together, and then the the main point, the thrust of his argument, would hit you, and you go, "Oh my gosh." I never thought of it that way. And that's one thing I've identified in really good teachers that I've had over the years is that they can take the concepts they want you to teach and weave them into a story or, you know, they can, they can create a path for you to walk down. And when you get to the end of it, you go, boom, I get it now. And, uh, that was, that was one of C.S. Lewis was one of those figures for me. Another one is, a so philosopher, he's, he's Catholic, but we won't hold that against him. He's a philosopher's name's Edward Fazer. And uh, he's written a ton of books, <clears throat> excuse me, he's written a lot of books about um, arguments for God existence and the philosophy of Thomas Aquinas. And so I started to get into this world. That's where the natural law stuff came from. but you know, laying out these specific arguments and they're so powerful because as he points out in in multiple books, he says, if these are true, they're they're what's called a metaphysical demonstration, meaning they're logically, Correct. They cannot be not correct, which is so. Which is so powerful because what we focus on today in in the world is you know scientific arguments. They're probabilistic arguments based on the evidence we can gather. We can say with you know ninety five percent confidence that uh, you know the Big Bang happened thirteen point nine billion years ago or whatever. Or you know this drug will have this effect. Right. We think probabilistically about everything. We don't really think about something's either true or it's not. And I think that that it's a it's it's not um like I wouldn't hang my hat on just these arguments exclusively, but I think they're a powerful complement to what the Bible says about the nature of God. You know, he sustains the whole world, he created the whole world. Right? Even two sparrows don't fall to the ground apart from your father in heaven, right? This is so basically these go to God as holding up, literally holding up the world in, in real time. And I, it, for me, that just hit me. That was exactly what I needed at the time.
1: So to kind of close up, you know, this, this quick rendition of, of kind of your, your testimony, the shorthand version of it. Um, is there any key piece of scripture um, that you want to leave us with something that talks to you right now and just kind of keeps talking through this journey with you?
0: Oh man, where to start? Um, <laughs> I would I would say, I think it's Matthew 6, 25 through 34. This is one of my favorites. I'm bringing it up right now. Do, 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 do. Please hold while Cameron finds the verse he wants to talk about. Do, 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 do. Yes. Like okay. Music. So yes, it's Muzak, like in the elevator. Okay. So it's Matthew 6, 25 through 34. I'm not going to read it, but you know, the modern subtitle we've put on it is do not worry. (laughs) But in the section of scripture, Jesus basically says, um, can you add any time to your life by worrying? Can you even add an hour to your life? And, uh, you know, I know that you need food and I know that you need clothing, um, but you need to focus on other stuff. I'm going to provide those things for you. You know, even, even unbelievers need these things and your father in heaven knows you need them too. So focus on the kingdom of God. And I'm going to, I'm going to take care of this stuff one way or another for you. And, uh, even, even today, I think it's maybe even more pertinent today than it was when I first read it and kind of had a, an aha moment in that, uh, you know, there's the president just said a couple of days ago, there's a very real possibility that there's going to be food shortages, even in Europe, and the United States, because of the situation in Ukraine and you know there's we're we're not i don't want to say we're on the brink but there is a real risk that a major war is going to break out between nuclear armed superpowers <laughs> you know um and then there's the typical stuff right you have to pay your bills and you have to go to work and you got to raise your kids and life brings all of these challenges and if you're unprepared or you don't know where to turn you can just kind of collapse in on yourself so this a, a passage like this it You know, it brings me some peace. I could keep talking, but I think that's a good one.
1: Well, and we'll end it there, Cameron. I really appreciate you uh, telling your story in a nutshell. Um, I would recommend if anybody's got additional questions or even comments, there's lots of subjects that's been covered. Um, I have made a list of future episodes. Uh, I think it would be great to flesh out some of the topics um, that kind of was brought up in your story. Um, but we'll do those at a latter date because we want to keep this somewhat short <laughs> uh, to where you can listen to it. But I just can't thank you enough for it. Um, I look forward to uh, next week telling my story, kind of having you um, poke holes in it, if you will, or ask questions, uh, clarification. Um, I, I give you complete liberty to do that uh, and, and the audience as well. Um, and it, I. I, I can't wait to to see what response we get from this one. So um, thank you very much, Cameron, for doing this.
0: Hey, it's my pleasure. I love talking about myself, as I think most <laughs> people do. <laughs> All right, well, we'll leave it there. Thank you guys so much. God bless you, and we will see you next time.
1: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Open Church Podcast. For more information or how to engage, please visit us at openchurchonline.com. We'd also like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, beawesomereadbooks.com.